Welcome to the Faith Christian Fellowship of Montego Bay's podcast. We are reaching for His glory through building and teaching. I hope you are encouraged and edified by this message. Now, two very important aspects of God are His nature and His character. Nature and character. Uh, Very important, in fact, it, it is a big uh, story in the Bible because when God created man in Genesis chapter one, the Bible says, uh, God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And the word image and likeness there in the Hebrew mean nature and character. So when God created man, he put his nature and his character inside of man. So we were intended to be little gods, so to speak. And and don't misunderstand me with that. I'm not saying that we're in the class of Elohim, um, that we were supposed to carry out the functions of God then here on earth. So he equipped us to carry it out just like he would carry it out. So nature and character, um, nature and character, speaks to the makeup and function of a thing or of an entity. Nature and character. The nature and character of something speaks to the makeup of the thing and the function of the thing. So the nature, nature and character gives definition to a thing and uh, gives definition to an entity. It speaks to the components of the thing. So the nature and character of God really gives definition to God and speaks to uh, the components of God. So uh, whatever a thing is made of will tell you what the thing is capable of. And the nature and character of something will tell you what the thing is made of. So the nature and character of God will tell us what God is capable of. And so we're going to take time out over the next two sessions to look at the nature and character of God. If there is one thing you know, need to know about God is uh, the nature of God well, uh, and the character of God. It's okay to know that he's awesome and he's powerful and he's the only wise God, but it gives you real foundation and strength. It helps you to put um, proper foundation in the ground when you understand the nature and character of God. Tonight, we're going to start with the nature of God, and I don't think we're going to be able to get into the character of God or the characteristics of God tonight. But there are four main things or aspects that speaks to the nature of God. And we will make mention of some of them, at least two but we will go into a little bit more detail in two of them. And the reason for that is that we could really stay on all 
four of these for the rest of the year, honestly. But, you know, in the interest of covering all that we can, we do it this way. So the first uh, thing about the nature of God is that God is a spirit. That's very, very important. God is a spirit. So in St. John 4, verse 24, I remember that story where Jesus met the woman at the well. And I believe that was predestined. And Jesus made sure the disciples did not interfere with it because, you know, they had their hang-ups and religious position of the day. They wouldn't want Jesus to be talking to that woman um, and all of that. So Jesus sent them to buy food. And by the time they got back, the conversation with the woman was well on. So they couldn't quite interfere. But in John 4, verse 24, um, Jesus related to that woman and he said, God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, what he was telling the woman was that you cannot really, really relate to God through your flesh. And we must get that message today also because the same obtains for us. Sometimes we believe that when we feel a certain way, that's the same way God feels, especially even when you feel anointing. But you have to remember that God is not in human form and, and, and we can't relate to him that way. That feeling is yours. So you cannot engage God in the flesh. And what God was saying to the woman is that real worship is when your spirit engage my spirit. So when our spirit engage the spirit of the Lord, that's real worship. That's when you're in a place where there is certain, uh, there's surety of deposits taking place in your spirit. When your spirit engaged the the Holy Spirit, engage God. And this is why God um, said one time in the Old Testament that the people praise me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You understand it now? So in other words, your lips speaks to humanity, but your heart, remember we established the point the other day that your heart is your spirit. He said, your heart is far from me, your spirit. In other words, you're not really engaging me with your spirit. So you're not really worshiping me. All you're doing is saying things about me. So God wants us to, um, when we say things with our mouth, that our spirits also engage him. And that is what real worship is about. And uh, there are some people who have never been to that place in worship because all we do sometimes is just want that keyboard or that guitar to start playing, to jump and dance around and all of that and feel happy. But we don't take time for that spirit to spirit engagement to take place. So God is a spirit. 
It doesn't mean that he's some impersonal force or entity because sometimes our idea of a spirit is just a, um, a presence or, you know, some invisible thing walking around that we should be scared of. But he is a person with um, will, intelligence, and feelings. Spirits carry that um, capacity, capability. So there are two kinds of beings that exist. One is the spirit being, and two is the human beings, right? So spirit beings are invisible to the natural eyes, but human beings are visible to the natural eyes. Spirit beings are eternal, while human beings are temporary. So there are two types of beings that exist, the spirit being and the human being. And that is why, um, as we said, the, the, the spirit being, the spirit beings are eternal. That means they can't die. That is why even when we transition from this life to the next life, where this mortal, or this, the human part of us becomes immortality. That means our spirit still exists, even though the mortal decays, the spirit still exists. And then your spirit will eventually spend eternity in hell or with God. So your spirit is eternal. And, and um, that is very, very important. But as I said before, God is a spirit and God wants us to engage him uh, with our spirits. That is why Paul went at length to, to, to say things like walk in the spirit. Because when you walk in the spirit, you will understand the operations of God better, the functioning of God better. You will be able to tap into uh, things that you would not be able to tap into in, with your natural mind or with your human element. So the first point as it relates to the nature of God is that God is a spirit. Secondly, um, God is a consuming fire. And that's very interesting. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29 speaks to that, that God is a consuming fire. Sometimes um, all that comes in our minds when we talk about God and fire and consuming fire, we're thinking about some judgment and the natural fire burning, but this refers to the holiness of God's nature. The fire of God. So it is always uh, significant of his holiness and absolute righteousness manifested 
in, in judgment and against sin. So you'll see different dimensions of fight the fire of God. So, um, for example, in Exodus 3, verse 1 to 6, the Bible says, uh, speak of that experience that Moses had. Moses experienced the burning bush. Moses saw the fire of God, but the bush wasn't burning. In fact, I think we need to read that portion. Let's read Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, the Old Testament. And, um, you know, Exodus means going out or exit. And uh, it is one of those books accredited to Moses. So here we go. Exodus chapter 3, verse, we'll start off verse number 1. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned. So you see the fire of God um, there, he saw the bush was not consumed. Well, verse two, he said, look, he looked and the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. So in other words, he saw the fire of God in the midst of the bush, but the bush was not consumed. So I'm saying to you, when it speaks to the fire of God, when we talk, it's not always talking about fire in the way that we know it. It's really talking about um, the awesome presence of God, the holiness of God. Now, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. Now, can you, can you imagine having that experience? Um, you know, <laughs> you could understand how um, nervous Moses was. And he said, draw not, not um, nigh either. Don't come near. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. So again, we see the fire of God linked to the holiness of God. So the fire of God is talking about really that place where God's uh, presence, his holiness uh, reigns supreme. Now, the place was not righteous just because, or the ground was not holy just because Moses was there. It was holy because God's presence was there and arrested uh, the place. Then we see Isaiah talking about the coals of fire. Again, talking about the nature of God. So the nature of God, God is that it will consume anything uh, 
that is not of God that comes into that space. God's presence takes control um, of any environment that he's at. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, is another example where it talks about tongues of fire. Cloven tongues like of fire when New Testament believers got filled with the Holy Ghost and um, it was tongues like of fire. It wasn't fire to burn them up, but to, to, to cleanse them, to, um, to inspire them. And then we also have though, uh, the scripture talking about the lake of fire that would burn perpetual and uh, perpetually. And that one, you don't even have to add gas to it. So God is also capable of allowing that to happen. So the nature of God is one, um, he's a spirit and he's a consuming fire. As I said, we're just, uh, if needs be, we can go into those in an extended way later. But I want to get to the next two where we'll spend some time tonight. Nature of God. The third one is the light, that God is light, okay? It's very important that God is light. That's the third aspect of his nature that we're talking about, that God is light. Well, let's read another scripture here from 1 John 1, verse 5, as we um, speak a little bit about that part of it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. all right, let's read that again. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. So the disciples is saying, this is what we learn of God. And we present to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness of at all. Well, two things I want to point out under that um, verse there. All right? And um, that's the only verse we'll pick out of that. It didn't say God have light or uh, he has light. He, he is light. So once God is present, light is present because he is light. And the Bible says that in him is no darkness at all. In other words, there's not a tint of darkness. It's not like man. It's not like the human element where there are dark areas in our lives that uh, we're always working on and light have to shine in there and all of that. In God is no darkness at all. He is light 100%. Awesome God we serve. So this light uh, refers to the majesty or glory of God. God is light and dwells in unapproachable light that no man can see or has seen. 
Do you remember the very beginning of creation in Genesis? God saw the darkness upon the face of the earth and God said, let there be light. In other words, he imposed himself on earth and influenced creation. So whenever God shows up, darkness has to flee. That is why the devil who dwells in darkness can't deal with God's presence. So the more you grow in God is the more you are allowing the light of God, of God's word to shine in and through your life. And uh, during that process, less and less darkness will be in your life. Because as human beings, we're always working on some areas and the light of God shine into uh, some areas of our lives that sometimes we don't want to deal with and all of that. And uh, as we receive the word of God and grow in God, then light will continue to shine in different areas. And so we'll become more and more and more light and less and less darkness will be in us. We're not as God yet that there is no darkness in us. But the, the funny thing is that only the light of God can shine into some dark areas of our lives and demand response. Because, you know, sometimes we won't deal with some things that we have. We think we're okay. But when the light of God shine into those areas, we have no choice but to respond. Somebody can tell you that you need to change certain areas of your life over and over and you ignore them and don't listen. But when the light shines into that area, there's a big difference. So Paul, was when he was Saul, walking in darkness, but under Damascus Road, a light shone from heaven. Now, if it shone from heaven, it had to be from God. Because, you know, Satan is not there. So God shone from heaven. And Paul could not counter, Saul then could not counteract it. Sometimes you don't even realize that darkness is in certain areas of your life. But when the light shines into your life, you see things that you just have to deal with. And this is why it is important to have growing relationship with God so that his light can continue to shine in your heart. Only God's light can shine into some people's heart and get them to apologize. Because in your mind, you, you, you just tell them your mind and left and um, you know somebody needed to put them in their place. But you go into your bed and lay down and the light of God shine into your heart and about that same thing that you feel justified about. And all of a sudden you realize that you have to deal with it. That's the light of God. How powerful the light of God is. Now Jesus said something very interesting in St. John 9 verse 5. He said, as long as I am in the world, 
I am the light of the world. Light also means way or a path. It shows you where to go. So he's saying, as long as I'm in the world, I am the way. You remember he said one time, I am the way, the truth and the life. He said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In other words, there is no other light beside me. I am the direction to follow. In, in God, in Jesus, there is no hypocrisy, no double standard, no shadow of turning, no bias. He is light. Sometimes people can be so biased and um, sometimes people, you explain your situation a hundred times and people don't get it. But that's not how God is. He knows. So he said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. And then in St. Matthew 5, verse 16, now he says to us, you are the light of the world. Remember now that his nature was deposited in us from in Genesis. So once we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior of our lives in, in new covenant terms, um, then the light shine into our hearts in a major way again. And he said, now you are the light of the world. So I, I am the standard as long as I'm in the world. But he said, look, you as kingdom citizens, you represent the light. While you're here, when I'm gone, when I'm not here, you are the light. As long as I'm in the world, he said, I am the light of the world. But he said, now I'm teaching you the Sermon on the Mount, the longest and most exclusive sermon. He said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So we carry an awesome responsibility. That's the nature of God. He's light. So God wants us to, to, to bring solutions. He wants us to show the way. He wants us to be examples. You know the scripture says you don't light um, a, a candle and put it under a bushel. In other words, if light comes into a room that there is darkness, it is going to dispel the darkness. You as the light of the world have that responsibility. So you cannot afford to tolerate darkness around you. You are not built for that. That brings no glory to God. In Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Thy word, O God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It shows us where to go. God wants us to engage his word so that revelation can saturate our hearts, that we can walk in the light of God. 
verse 130 of Psalm 119 says, the entrance of his word bring light and it bring understanding to the simple. So the nature of God is that he is light. God does not dwell in darkness. God, in other words, in, 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 in straight contemporary language, God don't deal with backdoor, thing, backdoor dealings and those kind of stuff. No. No. God is straight. He is light. 100% light. And that's a part of his nature. So when the Bible speaks of light, it is speaking of God. So we've covered three so far, three aspects of his nature, the nature of God. First, we say God is a, we, we did say that God is a spirit. Remember we talk about their spirit beings and human beings. Second is a consuming fire. It's the nature of God. Thirdly, he is light. In him, John says, is no darkness at all. And the fourth one, which is where I think we'll spend the rest of our time tonight, is that God is love. God is love. Love. Now, I believe that if we could get the church, kingdom citizens, half of the church to walk in the love of God. I'm not talking about our version of love. we would be such a more uh, powerful force entity to be reckoned. Love refers to the very heart of God's nature. God does not have love just like light. He is love. The word, uh, the main word used for love in the New Testament that we will base this on tonight is the word agape. It speaks to the unconditioned love of God. So it's a love that you don't have to meet any criteria. He loves you. It has no condition to it. Love involves the grace, mercy, kindness, and goodness of God toward his creatures. If we could get that love in our, in our homes, in our relationships, in our communities, in our schools, in the church, oh my goodness. 
we would be able to accomplish so much uh, more. If, if we begin to love the way that God desires for us to love, it will give us much more traction as individuals and as the church. Love will give you the platform to minister effectively, no matter what kind of ministry you're gifted with. You cannot effectively minister to people if you don't love them. See, you see what the problem is? Uh, you can't just use people as your audience to keep your ministry active. When you love people, your motive will be to see the kingdom come in their lives. But you can't just use people to get where you want to go in terms of ministry because, you know, ministry can't work with people. You really create a proper platform to minister to people when you love people. When you love people, you will always see their life in God. In other words, it won't be according to your judgment. So many times we write off people according to our judgment because of how we look at them and what they have done and all of that. So we just write them off. But that's not God. It doesn't matter the mess that people are in. God still loves us. That's the nature of God. So when you love people, you can look beyond their shortcomings, their deficiencies, their idiosyncrasies, and believe that brighter days are ahead. That's exactly what God did when we were dead in trespasses and sin. He loved us even when it seemed like we were not even deserving of that love. Not, not as it that it seemed, we were not deserving of that love. I love that song that we sing sometimes around, not just around Easter time, but it says, he knew me, yet he loved me. It's not like he, did, he never knew that we were a mess, you know. He knew me, yet he loved me. Now, if you begin to understand this, you'll never walk around begging for people's love anymore. When you understand the love of God, you can hold your head up high and understand that, look, I am secure in God's love. That is why David, you know, said he would rather fall into the hands of God than the hands of men. Because, you see, when, because of how God loves you, when God comes to judge you for even anything that you've done wrong, 
He doesn't judge you according to what people are thinking about you or what people are saying. In fact, God judges us differently. So he looks at the pressure that you were under. He looks at the circumstances that surrounded your situation. Because he's a God of love. If we can love people that way, then it would be easier for us to forgive because we can look beyond their shortcomings. Yes, they were wrong, but that will give you the right not to walk in love. Because as I said, when you love someone, you create a platform to, to minister to them. But you see, when you don't like somebody, if they sneeze right, they're wrong for you. Just their presence irritates you. I'm talking the truth. They don't do anything. They, just their presence irritates you. But God don't have those issues. He loves us. And long, long time ago from the Old Testament, he spoke into the heart of Jeremiah and he said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. This is the nature of God. Now, this is different from the other others who claim to be God. Now, can I say to you that if you don't love people, you don't have the right to lead them. If you don't love people, you don't have the right to lead them. Love creates that platform. Loving people creates that platform to lead them. And if you follow a leader that loves you, or if you have a leader that loves you, it's easy to follow them. Genuine love is like a magnet. It inevitably pulls people towards you. If people believe that you love them, they'll be drawn to you. Many people have, now, now watch this, many people have never experienced genuine love. They grew up in circumstances that they've been told all kinds of stuff all their lives. Grew up with relatives that uh, don't really care for them. I can tell you about that. People have gone through that passage of life where they don't experience genuine love growing up. Then they get born again and come into the church and then come among people who did not make that situation any better. Because they did not experience genuine love, the agape love of God in the church either. 
them people were critical of them and, and, and say all kinds of stuff. And so they've gone around, not experiencing that in their lives, growing up and coming to the church where there should be a difference and they did not experience um, that love uh, in the church because sometimes many people in the church love selectively. That's not the agape love. You know, people love selectively. You know, if you can do this for me or, you know, if we can work together to get certain results or it looks like you're capable of this. That's not what God wants. This is, this is not reflective of the nature of God and his nature is supposed to be in us. And many times the fake version of something will look okay and even be acceptable until the real version shows up. And, and, and for a long time, people have settled with the fake version of love. You know, if you can, if I can get you to take down a television from me when you're coming from New York or wherever and all of that, we, we walk in love. That's love. We love you. That's not love. Because we can get it through Amazon. And you think Amazon love you? It's the money you want. They want. <laughs> but we're talking about the nature of God and we're talking about the love of God as the nature of God as a, a one aspect of the nature of God now let me also say to you that genuine love agape love demands action you cannot walk in Agape love and not demonstrate it. Genuine agape love demands action. I love you, but how, how do you demonstrate that love? You love the world, but how do you demonstrate it? Well, let's talk about God first, how he demonstrated his love. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Look, not while you received Jesus and you were righteous and paying your tithes and walking um, holy before him. No, it's not that time that he initially demonstrated his love. While we were yet sinners, while we were dead and nobody saw any hope, any possibility in us, that was the time that he demonstrated his love. He died for us. Romans 5, 8. God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world. I mean, he loved it in such a way that it demanded action. He sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
John 15, verse 13. It says, greater love hath no man than this, than for a man to lay his life down for his friend. I believe that we have to re-examine our love walk. And see if it matches up to the nature of God because his nature is supposed to be in us. But this is the nature of the God that we serve. So as I said before, you know, when you love people, you create a platform to, to lead them and to, and to minister to them. You can't just use people as your ministry opportunity to practice what you want to do, but you don't love them. No connection will be there. Because people know when your love is genuine or not, whether your love is genuine or not, and they will respond accordingly. You know that thoughts have presence. So even if you don't say anything, people can detect for themselves because thoughts have presence. Have you ever walked into a room or a office or something and they were not saying anything, but you could tell they were saying something about you when, they, when you were coming, they were looking through the glass or, or, or something? Thoughts have presence. So many times, even in the kingdom, we tolerate people, but we don't celebrate them. If you don't love in the agape way, you will not celebrate them, but for a show of religion, you will tolerate them. So you now have to examine your heart. Have you been tolerating people or celebrating them? Do people feel tolerated in your presence or celebrated? Genuine love celebrates people. And that's the nature of God. That's what God is expecting of us. And that's what we need to measure up to. Many times the thoughts, uh, sorry, many times the, the results that we want from people is impossible because love has to be a part of the, the package to extract those results. You cannot get certain levels of response. You cannot extract certain results from people if you don't really genuinely love and celebrate them. You won't get certain loyalty. You won't get certain levels of response. You won't get certain commitment from people if you don't love them. 
and Paul was writing to the church in Corinth and talking about love. And he said that love is not puffed up. It doesn't vaunt itself. It's, it's not puffed up. I, I, I don't think that sometimes in the church we get that. That it's, love is not puffed up. So if it is not love that is puffing up some people, I wonder what it is. Because we would definitely have a few puffed up people in the church. But the Bible says, love is not puffed up. And it, it doesn't vaunt itself. It, it doesn't show off itself. You will be able to detect and identify if the love is genuine agape. Because the, the one thing that needs to be understood here also is that you really can't fake love um, too long. <laughs> because what agape requires is not something that you can fake uh, over an extended period of time. Maybe you might pull off something on a one occasion when people are not very careful or, uh, you know, it's not detecting what is happening. But genuine agape love, you cannot fake that over an extended period. So if you only love your family members, Something is wrong with that kind of love. That is anemic. If you only love people of a certain class, something is wrong with that kind of love. If you only love people of a certain color, something is wrong with that. Love does not know boundaries in that respect. And that's the nature of God. And that's why Jesus could speak with such authority when he was on earth, you know, because he went there, did whatever he did with a clear conscience. I believe that there's so many kingdom citizens that need to work on their love walk because it identifies you as um, having the nature of God inside of you. That's the nature of God. So in, in St. John 13 and verse 34, he said, um, you should love one another as I have loved you. So he said, hey, just like I demonstrated it to you, that's how I want you to demonstrate it to others. 
people should not be in your sphere of influence. You are supposed to have the nature of God inside of you. People should not be in your sphere of influence and not experience real love. Because it is the very heart of the Father God. It is the nature of God that he wants to demonstrate through you. So we need to so make ourselves available that God could love the world through each of us. The nature of God is love. As I said before, nature and character gives definition. The nature and character of God gives definition to God. That's what he is. That's who he is. He loves. You know, I would like for you to, in your own heart, examine your love walk and grade it out of 10 on a scale of 1 to 10 with 10 being the highest. And then challenge yourself to see how far up the scale you can take that for the rest of this year. How much of the nature of God can you get to be manifested through your life? You know, people accuse the church of all kinds of stuff sometimes that are not true. The enemy is at work, and we know that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. But there are, there are times when people come to the church and leave with certain complaints that are true. And we have to fix that. When I talk about the church, and I'm talking about the church universal. And as we heard um, recently, we are the church. We, we, we know that. We are the church. So, I mean, even if they did not come to the building itself, when I say they come to the church, I'm not just talking about the sanctuary in terms of the building. They, they come into your presence, into your life. And God is going to send even more people over the next year into your life. You know, I've heard many people, even counselors, talk about, you know, loving yourself and all that. But I'm telling you, when people 
genuinely show you love, it makes such a difference. People from all walks of life, as I said, they're looking for that. They've been broken. Um, people have gone through many, many hurts, broken relationships, and uh, they just feel that they're alone. And that is why we, we can also tell you that we know for sure that people are looking for the kingdom. They, they can't find it. They just can't find it. Because the kingdom is going to demonstrate the love of God. People have gone from church to church looking for the kingdom. God's depending on you. That is nature. And this character would be demonstrated through your life. We thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and ensure you have a great day.